Welcome to Fandom and Wellness, a podcast about the complex relationship between fandom and mental health. Disclaimer, we are not psychiatrists or psychologists. We are just fangirls with a vested interest in mental health. Once again, please be advised that we may discuss the topics of sexual assault, domestic abuse, and post-traumatic stress disorder. I'm Arkita. I'm Jenny. And I'm Danielle. Today, we're discussing the Unbreakable Split Glass Universe with Andrea Letamendi. Hi. Hello. Hi. I know that you prefer to be called Drea, right? I do. You can call me Drea. Okay. Um, We also like to ask our guests what their pronouns are. We all go by she, her, hers. She, her, hers. Great. Um, So I met Drea when I lived in San Diego in 2009 at some, like, little convention in a bar okay um, <laughs> I don't know. wait you lived in san diego for yeah for a year immediately after college and she was re- wearing like a really cute darth vader corset um <laughs> uh, and then i don't know i've, I've we, be, we were like facebook friends basically after that because i moved back to brooklyn and well you're skipping uh, over the tattoo part yeah uh oh what just my the Harley tattoo. Okay. Oh. <laughs> yeah, well, no, do, I do share scared. because my memory is obviously blanking. <laughs> I think it is was. That, oh, is that why you came up to me? Yeah, I no. think I was just like, I like your tattoo. It's a, it's a short, short bit. I, you, okay. you have an amazing tattoo, and I think I just said I really like your tattoo, and then I probably ran away. Uh yeah, so Arkita and I talk a lot about our love of Harley, and yeah. you are also a Harley. Yes. Yeah. So then I I basically known you more as an internet friend, I would say, as opposed to internet friends are real friends. friends. Uh, yeah, that is very true. You guys are more of my internet friends at this point because we live so far away. Um, but basically, so like, uh, Drea uh, has a podcast called the Arkham Sessions. And that is kind of how I started listening to podcasts. It goes kind of like episode by episode as if it's therapy sessions uh, talking to or talking about like the different cast and villains in the show yeah. and kind of diagnosing them, I would say. Yeah, we're, um, we're actually... It, it, it's just, it's so interesting. It, it, yeah, I know you just wrapped up the whole yes. series, which is... <laughs> You read my mind. Yeah, we we actually have about 130 (laughs) episodes. And so we've we've deviated a little bit from the the core focus of the show, which is, as Danielle saying, we take each episode of Batman, the animated series, and we lift up the psychological science and mental health related themes. And then I talk about those concepts and themes and try to draw upon more like real life aspects of it to just inform the public about these really important topics. And over the course of about five years, we've covered every single episode of the animated series, including the adventures of Batman and Robin and the new Batman adventures, which I think totals 109 episodes, something like that. And so our next episode is actually going to be kind of a wrap up, which will, um, which will just summarize our findings and talk about our favorite characters. And of course, give um, just give honor and tribute to our favorite characters, including Harley and just kind of like how they've evolved and developed over time. Yeah. So I probably should have said this before, but Drea is an actual psychologist. Um, 
like you've been written into the DC universe as Barbara Gordon's therapist, which is yeah, so so cool. That's uh, so cool. <laughs> I'm also a fan of your podcast, by the way. I I've tweeted you a couple. Of oh, thank you. <laughs> that was because Danielle is the one who actually put me onto it, and I started listening to it, and I was like, oh my god, I, I love this podcast. Oh, thank you so much. It's it's really fun, and then you know like you're doing it's it also feels like this is a service to the public that you're talking about topics that um they're just difficult to talk about it's hard to approach people don't know where to go for these resources and and for like the real information and so it feels like um it just feels like what I'm supposed to be doing i have a day job but this this podcast very much feels like my my actual mission in life no, yeah, and then you you have like a TED talk and you do a lot of um panels at conventions in regards to mental health and bullying and the superhero world how it relates to it. So, yeah. I was like really excited when you I I guess I made a Facebook status saying I was going to go see Glass and you commented on it. And I was like, uh, basically with your opinion on whether or not you wanted to see it. And I was like, no, 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 go see it. And then you're like, okay, I want to be on this episode. <laughs> and I was very excited. I can't wait to hear everyone's thoughts on this film. I have so many mixed feelings and thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This was a new thing for me. Doing a lot of new things lately. <laughs> you're welcome. Thank you so much for going with me, Jenny. Yeah, they they went together, which is super super cute. Uh, so um, I, if you were here, we'd have all gone together. I know, yeah, but it's it is how it is. <laughs> That's life. Um, and then so we also um, I mean you you kind of answered why you why you wanted to be on the episode or show in general, which we just like to ask our guests. Um, we also like to give our guests a little bit of space to talk about their own mental health if you so choose to. If you do not want to, you don't have to feel obligated to. Uh, the three of us all suffer from anxiety and depression, and we're pretty blunt about it. Um, yeah. <laughs> so if you feel like talking about anything, feel free. If not, don't worry. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if it comes out naturally and if you want to do it, basically. Yes. Oh, it'll be obvious that I have many ailments. <laughs> <laughs> Great. We're all in this together. <laughs> um, okay, do you guys want to start talking about the movies? Yes. Okay, great. So uh, let's let's start at the beginning with Unbreakable. Did anyone actually watch it when it came out? I was uh, like eight years old. <laughs> I, no. I watched it. Over, how, when did it come out? Like, 2000, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know yeah, that I watched right. it old. exactly when it came out, but I did watch it when I was like... A young teenager. Okay. I did not. I watched it for the first time last month. Yep. Same. And <laughs> it was it was different for me because I think I had not... I've seen a few M. Night Shyamalan movies and it, I knew that there was going to be the whole plot to, twist at the end and I wasn't expecting that plot twist. <laughs> also, a lot of his movies really freaked me out. So I've just usually stared away from them because my parents decided it'd be a good idea to take me as a child to see that one where they kill all the people in the village and after that i was like i'm good with movies from this guy i don't ever want to do this you guys have scarred me for life i'm like 12 years old and i'm crying so 
so yeah, but I did enjoy Unbreakable, actually. I thought it was very well written and very well played out. And my love for Bruce Willis is unwavering. <laughs> I didn't know you were such a big fan of Bruce I Willis. Am. I was I want his children. Not his children, because they have his genes very his I'll kids be, all look like him. That's all I'll I have to say. I'll be honest, I'm pretty sure he's shooting blanks right now. <laughs> I don't care. I still love that man. Well, it's interesting to watch Unbreakable now when in the eight, basically. Oh, sorry. <laughs> you okay? Are you yes, okay? Yes, continue. Sorry. It's, sorry, it's interesting, I love him. It's interesting to watch Unbreakable now in the age, basically in the age of the best Super superhero yeah, movies we, we've seen so far. And obviously it's very different, which some people like. I thought it was just fine. What, what, what did you think, Treya? I didn't see it until well after it came out. And then I I have this thing where sometimes I see movies and then I, I've forgotten so much about them that when I see them again, it's like seeing them for the first time. So this is one of those movies where um, before seeing Glass, I, I watched, rewatched it. But it felt like I was watching it for the first time. Yeah, I, I forgot a lot of it. Yeah, and I think it holds up well. I I actually really enjoy it. I I love I really love the aspect of um kind of like a this concept of post-traumatic growth and different trajectories based on childhood experiences and how um just how the well, who will later be known as as Glass or Mr. Glass, how he is experiencing these hardships as a child and how he kind of internalizes that as he grows older. And I think that that part of the, I don't know, that part of the storytelling, that part of the character development was, um, was just incredibly compelling and actually quite realistic. Like maybe, maybe his, his actual disorder and, and what he ends up doing is kind of fantastical, but his actual story I found to be really compelling from, from a traumatic narrative. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, yeah, I, I know that a lot of people had a lot of issues with the movie because it's such a, because, um, the disorder that he has is so rare, but, um, they, yeah, didn't, I, they maybe didn't, um, depict it accurately. Enough research and, yeah, I didn't know personally that it existed in this world, but then again, there's so many things that does do exist that it it didn't shock me and I wish that like as I was watching it I was like wow don't why don't more films show this aspect of life and humanity because it exists obviously like this is the only film that I've seen that has it right in a villain basically though yes in a villain that too <laughs> yeah. like the the person with a disability is the villain, which I I, I I always question that now when I watch movies and it's like, oh, you have a disability and you're evil? Okay, yeah. That seems, really? to be, that seems to be the theme of this trilogy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so just because we haven't said it, it's, uh, I just want to make sure I'm pronouncing it. Uh, osteogenesis imperfecta? Right. Yes. That's the correct. That sounds yeah. correct. Which is, uh, I mean, according to the movie, essentially like a brittle bones disease. Right. Yeah. I, I basically like... You know, I did like a little bit of research on it, and I f- what I found interesting was an article that was written by someone who has the disease, and they were talking about like the coding behind it, and that Glass, 
who is evil is the one who has the disability and David who is like pure and like the one saving everyone is the one who like turns out to be super strong. Right. And it's interesting to basically, it makes it sound like someone with that disability would not be able to integrate into normal society, which I'm sure isn't true. No. Yeah. And it, he, he kind of does touch upon that in the beginning of the movie, Samuel Jackson's character about like how the evil or the, the evil characters or the villains are drawn differently than the, than yeah, that's the true. heroes. And that's kind of how he's portrayed in the film as well. In addition yeah. to the disability. Yeah. And then like his disability is like one of the reasons why he has such a huge obsession with comic books. Yep. I think I'm, I think I'm perseverating on, on the concept of him being evil because he, of course, at the end of the movie, we, we, it's discovered. We realize that he's responsible for these, um, these incredibly, uh, awful, catastrophic events. Yeah. These, these catastrophic events that he is, um, essentially responsible for. And so then, yes, according to that definition, the murder of, possibly thousands of people like obviously that's evil on the other hand it's interesting how he justifies this that if he were to um engage in in these actions these really destructive really um antisocial actions in order to create a superhero to counter to be a counterpart to him um what what part of what he's doing is actually helpful to society and this isn't any way to to justify what he's doing but it's almost a way to understand that he doesn't see he seems like a character who who identifies as the villain in the narrative that he's um orchestrating but uh, feels as though his his role is to bring out heroism which isn't an evil thing yeah he definitely I think at the end of Unbreakable, he seems to view himself as almost a hero. Yes. Right. And of course, then we have to go into the definition of evil and whether in general humans are evil or if they are just... Uh, inherently a, neutral? or Not inherently anything, um, but just like a group of people with varying, varying traits some more beneficial to society and some less, you know what I mean? Um, I think I totally agree. And I think that um, in our society, we really, we, um, we seem to, we seem to um, commingle the idea of evil with the idea of mental illness. And I think that's really, um, that's really not, that's not helpful to my field or or to society in general but it also inflates things it also really confuses it gets things twisted is what i say because um it can be really harmful to associate evil with mental illness and and that's the struggle i think overall if, if i were to say like the one thing that bothered me with all these movies is that that's kind of what it does yeah definitely um i wanted to talk about something that was like kind of totally unrelated but it was in unbreakable and it was just like kind of interesting to me because i think it has to do with mental health um his son uh his name i'm gonna google for a hot second his son spencer no 
That's the Joseph. <laughs> well, I think I the remember. actor's name is, is Spencer Clark. Uh, the the son's name is Joseph. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I was like, let me Google. He is clearly feeling like out of his mind and like almost like like he's being like gaslighted, like to the point where he pulls a gun on his father because he's so certain that he's a superhero and like. Yeah, like at, like like after he saves that family or well, the girls in the family, um, like David ends up telling him that yes, like you're right, like I am a superhero. Like what? What do you think that kid's life would have been like if he hadn't told him? Like how much damage would he have done if he hadn't told him? Like do you, or do you think it was the wrong thing for him to tell him or the right thing? Or you're talking about glass and not unbreakable. No, right? I'm talking about in unbreakable, in unbreakable. Un- his okay. son pulls a gun on him. Yes. Because he's um, like, if I shoot you, you right. won't die. And David and the wife are both like, like, no, like, he'll die. You need to put the gun down. But also, is at that point, did he know whether he really had superpowers? Did he? I felt like he was I, still uncertain himself. Yeah, I thought he had only understood that he was just a very strong person by that point so basically if he had continued once he knew that he was yeah he had superpowers it would have been i guess gaslighting if he had continued to ask him and told and lied to him basically um well because in most superhero stories i feel like you know they don't tell their family right yeah so it's kind of interesting that he did tell his he did tell his kid um which I think I think was the right thing to do because I think his kid would have went out of his mind. <laughs> yeah, I, his, I, the kid was definitely confused because at one point he had this conviction, and then in, in that scene, from the way I recall it, um, uh, I almost called him Bruce Wayne. Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Bruce Willis's character is um, my husband. It's almost like your husband. Uh, the father of your children (laughs) it's almost as if he he isn't sure himself like i think in that moment everyone's terrified and i think we're supposed to be terrified as the audience because we're we're kind of in that in that uncertainty we're in that gray zone of understanding that yes he's superhuman but how superhuman is he is this going to be fatal for him so i like the tension that that scene um introduces to us because it's it's um, very real, um, but really the the victim here is that kid, which I think is something Daniel's getting at, which is like this is really messing with his sense of um, reality and his sense of what what his father is capable of or not capable of. And there's a bit of withholding. There's a bit of secrecy. There's there's this like you know. Uh, luckily, at the end of the movie, it's reconciled and they share this moment together that addresses that they both they know he knows that he knows that he is a is a superhuman or a, a hero but um yeah i think that scene is potentially you could characterize it as as being pseudo traumatic for that kid yeah i think that would have given him like major trust issues if he had not uh told him but if if he hadn't told him and he had grown up well, isn't it also possible he would have thought that that was just like a a childhood like just like how uh kids will think 
they will have superpowers because they watch Superman or something. Um, or like your it could dad's just something in their past. Yeah. Yeah, that they, when they grow up, they think, oh, that was just me being a kid. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's a little bit more drastic because he actually pulled a loaded gun That's, on his father. Yeah. So I think that it's like so... a little bit more extreme than just like a childhood memory of a, oh, my dad was really strong. I think he might have been a superhero. Remember that time I pulled but... a gun on you? Like, <laughs> almost, good times. Almost <sighs> killed him. It was okay, though. I will say that there was already that level of distrust within the family because for some time, David... The character of David was not present within the home between the mother and the son, and then he ended up coming back. So, like, I'm sure his son already had trust issues on whether or not his father was going to still be there with the family or not. And I think that just kind of added or heightened to the situation. I got, I was really mad. I, so I, I rewatched it recently as well, and I forgot most of the movie, and I got so mad because at first I thought, that Bruce Wayne's character was a big old cheat. And I was like, Bruce Wayne cheating on your wife? That's what I Bruce thought. Bruce Wayne, goddamn it, Bruce Willis! Cheating on your wife! <laughs> this is gonna happen the whole episode. Just get used to it, everybody. Bruce Willis would never <laughs> cheat on me, just so you know. I know, I was like, okay, thanks. <laughs> thanks, <laughs> Mr. Shyamalan, for <laughs> trying to sabotage that thought about Bruce Willis. <laughs> but, yeah. So, do we have any more thoughts on Unbreakable before moving on to Split? Well, we didn't really talk about uh, Mr. Glass's mother that much, because she's not even in the series very... She's in the first one and then in the last one, and I'm sorry, my voice is in and out today. But, um, I don't know, I'm just... I'm intrigued by the way she's portrayed, because she's still very loving towards her son, but at the same time knows everything that he's capable of, which... I, I, I don't, I just find that very, I mean, you, I, you know, you don't know a mother's love until you are, I mean, I know my mother's love, but like, I guess I wouldn't understand <laughs> what that meant unless I had a child. Uh, I don't, I don't know where I was going with that, but I was just very confused with how that relationship continued. She, I mean, I thought she was amazing. Like e- even when, you know, it, everything came out about everything he had done. I don't feel like she abandoned him. No, she didn't. No. But some would probably. Yeah. Considering no. how many people he has killed. Um, yeah. But so the reason why the mom was not in Split is because no one from Unbreakable was in Split until the very yeah, end. Yeah, until the very end. Because holy split. shit, like no one knew that that was a sequel to Unbreakable. Um, no. I... Like, I didn't even know Split existed as a movie until Glass was announced. And I was like, wait, 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 this is the third in three? Like, what? what is the second movie? Yeah. And when you had us watch it and I was watching Split, I was like, I don't see any of the characters. Why am I watching this? This doesn't make I know, sense. I, well, it's funny because, like, so my, my husband had seen Split in theaters. And it's a very different movie than Unbreakable. Like, yep. I would say it's more of, like, a horror movie, almost. The tone right? is very different from the... Um, and so, so he said that, like, it, like in the theater, at the very, very end, all of a sudden there was just, like, a very small section of people who were like, oh my god! Like, when they realized it was a sequel, because not that many people, I guess, had seen Unbreakable. They just thought that they were seeing a horror movie. 
Right. Which is a pretty cool concept. You know, yeah. <laughs> With people in red capes dying. <laughs> Sorry, I still can't get over that movie. I'm still I'm still very upset by my family for taking me to see that as a child. The village. <laughs> You're talking about the village, right? Yeah. I've village. never seen it. I'm too uh, scared. When did that come out? Yes, I saw that as a child and traumatized me. Well, it's interesting because I uh I would I I hadn't seen Split when it was in theaters, but I I do a presentation for um, for students and for for faculty at the university I work at on concepts of um, knowledge translation and pop culture and how I use pop culture to um, inform and educate the public about the things that I study, like um, mental health uh, and psychology. And I would use two examples around the idea of how, um, you know, one, one thing I would say is like, why not use pop culture to talk about mental health because guess what mental health is already in pop culture like it's already being used in pop culture and we're already exposed to it so why not harness that and like flip it around um and the two examples i would use um having not seen either movie was split i would show like the poster of split and it would be like really ominous and scary and then i would show a poster of unsane and i would say has anyone seen unsane no nope Um, didn't do too well, but it was basically, um, a woman is hospitalized in a psychiatric unit and feels like she's being persecuted. And I think I haven't seen it, but I think throughout the whole movie, she feels, um, that she's being kind of chased after her stalker, but the trailers for both movies, um, really demonstrate, uh, individuals with mental health illnesses or challenges as people who are either the villains or are um, persecuting others. And so I would, I would kind of give these two examples as movies that um, I don't think this is a real term, but I would say like, this is the um, horrification of um, mental health. Like this, this is a, an unfortunately um, a, a negative thing for our field because these movies will portray mental health treatment facilities personnel practitioners and individuals with illnesses as being dangerous hostile violent killers you know that that it would be basically the the crux of this um the crux of each each of the films that i that i gave examples for were about how um, people were terrorized by people with mental health problems and so um, funny thing is I hadn't ever seen Split, but I just threw that out there as an example until I finally saw Split. And did you still stand by what you said before you watched it? Um, I still used that poster in my presentation, but um, I actually kind of felt a little bit better about the movie learning that learning that it is not in our world, that it is in this M. Night Shyamalan kind of like universe this fictional universe that portrays DID as more of like a superhuman power versus a mental illness, which I know we'll, we'll get much more into with, with the examination of the film glass, but I did feel a little bit more understanding of it through that lens. Right. Cause it was a very fantastical kind of um, premise that you can basically gain superpowers if you believe in it enough yeah 
Like, uh, like I almost feel like the beast came out because Dr. Fletcher was so insistent that it, he wasn't real. I also felt that way as well. So, Drea, can you explain to us a little bit about what DID is? I know that you talk about it frequently on um, Arkham Sessions, but for the rest of our listeners who don't know what it is, um, could you give us some insights? For sure. So, uh, DID stands for Dissociative Identity Disorder, which is considered a pretty rare condition. Um, Really, we're looking at 0.1 0.1 to 1% of the population, and it's characterized by the presence of um, at least two or more distinct identities or personality states, sometimes called alters, that each recurrently take control of someone's behavior. Um, one thing that I make clear is that in the majority of, of the presentation of DID, the person who has alters um, typically kind of... Uh, oscillates or moves back and forth um, or among the the different alters. You can't have more than one alter be present at the same time. Um, and the alters could be uh, presented as completely distinct, different individuals, much like um, much like the character in Split. So could be a child, could be a different gender, could be a different age, could be a completely different personality. And in the majority of cases, there are incidences of childhood abuse, um, in many cases, sexual abuse. Um, And this is probably, we talked about it on the show a few times because this is probably one of the most controversial diagnoses um, for a few reasons. One is that treatment hasn't really been identified. There isn't like um, a psychiatric Uh, medication or any kind of Mm -hmm. um, neurobiological, neurochemical treatment that has been shown to be effective for these symptoms. You can certainly take antidepressants and anxiolytics to like impact the or lessen the symptoms of depression or suicidality or other kind of like after effects or common symptoms that are associated with it. But for the most part, there isn't really an effective treatment for it. And then second, there are just really kind of debatable presentations that it's very unclear whether individuals with this condition are um, are kind of presenting themselves with these different alters for some other secondary gain or because they're having actual like cognitive or, or memory disorders or memory problems that are better um, accountable for their symptoms. So on the show, I think we covered this in the Two-Face episode. We were talking about the character Two-Face from the animated series. We we were kind of examining the likelihood that this fictional character had this diagnosis, and we were able to come up with two or three more reliable, more, um, we would say more like evidence-based diagnoses that could also account for his behavior. Yeah, and then is... So, like, one of the things about Kevin's DID is that he, it seems as if he's able to choose which personality he is going to, like, in, inhabit him at that time period. Is there any truth to that? Or 
the people with DID usually not have so much of a choice. It's interesting because I think this might be in glass as well, where there's almost like um, a description of almost like a a council or room where they're yeah. all hanging out and one of them gets to be present. Yeah. Um, I saw that as more of a, a figurative kind of symbolic thing than an actual place in his mind where, where all the alters are interacting. Um, but those descriptions, I think that's where the movie really takes a lot of kind of like creative Liberty because um, I think for individuals who present themselves with different alters, they have so much memory lapses and so much memory loss and difficulty, almost like um, episodes where they can't remember what's been happening over a period of hours or days. And so the last thing they'd remember or the last thing they'd be able to to um, experience is alters interacting with each other. They're barely able to um to be present when a single individual of their alters is um, is aware and cognizant and speaking for for them. So I, I think that's mostly fictional. Um, but again, because there are so few, so, so this is such a rare condition that you have um, within the rare condition these cases where people are saying that this is this is their reality, that they're able to identify these really interesting idiosyncratic, symptoms that one could say well that's just that person that's not really characterized by this this disorder and would you say that um kevin's dissociated uh, did is a result of his past trauma because when i was watching the movie and then when i was watching glass it shows on the train his father with a pamphlet for DID, so he must have already been experiencing this as a child. I feel, do you think that it could have been heightened because he was left with an abusive parent? Well, he was be sorry, but he he was being abused probably a little bit by yes. his mom already. Yeah. Yes, even with the father present. Right. Sorry, Andrea, go ahead. Yeah, I'm having a hard time remembering how old he was supposed to be it, uh, when we get like this, uh, this flashback to the father, um, and this is really in, this is really pivotal, right? Ten and under, yeah. And so he or that's the that's kind of weird though because this kind of condition when people are um, endorsing these symptoms, it, this isn't really this isn't really diagnosed in childhood. Typically, the traumatic events are happening in childhood, which was very realistic when when you think about um, this fictional character, Kevin, for sure. But um, it would be really rare to see um, a developing child already having alters. I mean, that that is probably misdiagnosed or people just think like, oh, he's just he has these imaginary friends or he's making things up or he has like just a creative side to him. I don't think many parents would actually believe he has alters. Yeah, the, well, the one alter who's uh, one of the most prominent ones in the movie, um, I can't remember his name, but he's the one who has... Um, Either Dennis or Barry? Dennis. What? I think Dennis? Is Dennis done with the glasses? Yeah, with OCD? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, I thought that he said that he like started developing the earliest out of all of them because he was protecting him from being abused 
Oh. I, f- I, I thought, well, either him or the the kid personality. Hedwig? Right? Hedwig, yeah. Because he probably stayed at the age that he was abused at or whatever to, like, have another personality to, I don't know, handle the trauma. It's definitely uh, probably a, not a fully researched uh, portrayal. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I, I mean, I, I think you're right. I think he did. I did read an article that um, Shyamalan did uh, t- do some research, but I'm I would, sure I would he hope, took some I would liberties. Hope he did some. Does he always? Because I'm sure he took some liberties. Do we all remember Avatar? <laughs> that's that's not. Oh, <laughs> you know, that wasn't that great. Does he, he always? Took, he took a few more liberties with Avatar. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but that's a, that's a different that's a different thing. Um, yes. Yeah, but also him opening a pamphlet for DID is also just a way to identify that guy as his father right, in right. that scene. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've, I've seen some people say online that that was him saying that the father also had DID, which wasn't oh, no, like, that's not the how one I that read it. I, no. Wow. I, thought that they, I thought that Glass said, I mean, we're skipping ahead to Glass, but whatever. Um, I thought that he said his father was going to try to find him help. Yeah, that's what I got from a, it, was that he was looking for help for his son. Yeah, so th- those people on the internet are wrong, so. Yeah, that's fair. People on the internet <laughs> are often and usually wrong. Uh, <laughs> Um, yeah. Do you guys want to talk about Casey at all? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Because um, I was personally more interested in her story than his. I was. I was very interested in her yeah. story in both Split and Glass because I felt her in high school, I could I could relate to her and why she always wanted to be in detention just to get away from everything, but also... not. I don't even know how to describe... It in her capturing, but it was almost pessimistic in a way in her th- with the other girls and how she. They but would, were would you say it's pessimistic out. or realistic? Uh, you're right. I don't know. It's somewhere in between the two, because if I don't, I don't know. I would say yeah, it's a possibility that you could. They could have work together and overpowered him, but what's the reality of them being able to get out because it seemed like that building was so massive and almost maze-like. Yeah, she... Locked up. She was very clearly using coping mechanisms that she had learned through years of sexual abuse from her uncle. Um, It was... uh, I don't know. I don't want to say funny. I don't know what word to use. Um, But my husband and I watched the movie together and... As soon like as soon as she was like pee on yourself when he was taking the one girl into the other room, I was I was like, Oh, she's been raped before. And he was like, How have you guessed that? Because he had seen it be- he'd seen the movie before. And I was like, Because I don't know, I'm a woman and like we're like we're you, you, we're told these things that yes. like if a stranger is gonna rape you, like you see pee, yeah. pee on yourself. And like that's not something that I have done, but I I do have a friend who was uh attacked by a stranger in the street and she defecated on herself and it made them stop and like it's just like women are just like taught these like you're taught these horrendous like coping mechanisms to get 
sexual abuse to stop. I think that yeah. for for the the I would say that split of these three for folks listening who either haven't seen them or who are just kind of like um reprocessing this um split has uh has sort of like uh continuous moments that are um just just very intense and and I would even say yes. like um could be triggering for people like from from the moment yeah. that the girls are um, initially kidnapped. The way that they're kidnapped, the way that they're um, they're attacked, and um, uh, he, he, the way that um, I'm forgetting his the, his like main name. I don't know what he Kevin. goes by. It, Kevin. So he he's able to kidnap them, and then they're passed out for periods of time. So they have these lapses in, in consciousness. And then the way that the girls respond to, uh, to the entrapment, to the, um, you know, just kind of the physical assaults to, um, the way that he interacts with them. Like they're of course presenting, they're, they're just like trying to survive and they're, they're using what they know to, to get out of those situations. But it certainly is um, th th those parts of the movie. I just felt like I don't really want to be a part of this. Like, I don't want to watch this. This is really intense. And um, this is like, where is this all going? Why, why does this have to happen? And I think that for us to then begin to follow uh, Casey's story gives it a little bit more meaning and then kind of allows us to find some narrative that we could um, could really that could might ground us or might make us feel like okay there's there's some hope here there's some kind of like maybe there will be revenge or maybe there will be um, some kind of survival story that that helps us get through this but I did struggle right. a lot with kind of the first part of this movie that was mostly about victimization and entrapment and um, and kind of the girls really suffering and and I didn't really like that yeah, I had a really hard time with the movie. Like I, I mean, like I, like I, like I cried a lot. Like the, like the rest of the of the night, and I, I couldn't work probably for the whole next day. Like I, it was it was very hard on me. Um, and just like like at first I was like, are they using K like Casey's character and backstory as just like a plot device? Like like as often the rape is used in movies and stories um or like women's deaths are used in stories um and this is like one of the rare situations where like i understand why it actually was important like it actually did build the story because it like ma it made him be able to relate to her because he was also like abused yeah i mean it in informed us on why she made the decisions that she made yes right for one um and this kind of like uh victimization and focus on that is common in horror stories i think right because that's the point you're these victims go through pretty much the worst things that can happen to them and usually they get out okay they get out they survive or some of them do um i really so hate that trope yeah, I'm not surprised really... by it because it is a horror film, but I do, um, I I was invested in Casey's character and her story, 
Yeah, and um, it's, it's interesting to be like, okay, well, these like these girls who have not been through the same things as she has thinks that they know what's best in the situation. But in actuality, like, she does. Because she's been through something, maybe not quite as heinous, but still pretty damn heinous. I kind of wish that, that she had saved herself and not that the um, beast has stopped just because she was a victim too. Okay, yeah. You know, I would have preferred if she saved herself. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, do we, so do we like that whole, like, um, the broken are the more evolved narrative? It's very interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting sentence. Yeah, I mean, it's, like, it's kind of like, what what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. and like, Right, exactly. And, like, uh, you go through abuse for a reason type of no. thing. <laughs> um, I but. don't, I've never, I feel like. I don't mean that's true. I'm just saying. No, like, I'm not like, saying that it is or isn't true. Yeah. But I, I think I, it was like last year or a year before I had seen a meme and it said, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And they had crossed out stronger and it's like, gives you more anxiety and depression and PTSD. And I was like, that's <laughs> yeah, correct. That's true. I don't feel stronger yeah. at all. I, I was like, yeah, I can get with that because it's like. I have been dealing with my PTSD for a little over two years now, and I don't feel any stronger from it. I don't feel any more comfortable going outside. I still do it because I have to, but I don't feel any... And for those who don't know, I was I was hit by a bomb in a terrorist accident in New York City, and I, like, I still don't feel comfortable going outside. I still don't feel safe outside. I still don't feel safe inside of my own home even. So, like, the whole what doesn't kill you makes you stronger thing, maybe it works for some people. But from my experience, I think it just makes you better able to survive. I don't think that correlates necessarily with being stronger. Yeah. And, yeah, I think it depends on whether you read this as trying to be an accurate depiction of um, abuse or whether it's trying to be inspirational, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like you've you've gone through this and you can become stronger as a result or whatever. I don't know. I, I kind of, like, I was almost there with it, but I, I mean, um, Arkita, I, I agree with you and I, I think it can be a really troubling message to say, you know, no, the, the more that you... Um, the more that you survive, the the more trauma you experience, the stronger you are. I mean, scientifically, that's actually not true. Um, we do have a tipping point. We we as humans have um, have the ability to be resilient, and, and in many ways should be stressed and should experience coping over time in an intermittent way. But um, intense traumatic experiences. Um, like the one you had where your your life, your livelihood, your personhood is threatened, that shouldn't be something that that doesn't necessarily make us stronger. Um, it it readies us for that kind of environment. And when you talk to uh, veterans and, and service members, they are um, many of them will say like, I'm I'm more prepped. I'm ready. I'm well-equipped for a combat environment because of the kinds of things I've been exposed to, but it doesn't make sense. It's really not adaptive when I've integrated back into, into society, into kind of like, you know, the, the non-military society. And so there is a little bit of truth to 
the idea that adversity can can really equip us with um, important stress responses that are more adaptive and that are better for us. But um, I don't know the the way that it was presented in the film. I think I was like having a brain twist. Like I was just like, I'm, I really want this to work. <laughs> I really want this idea to work for me because I love the concept of post-traumatic growth that we can become better selves and, and rise above and overcome hardship and even acknowledge that like, yes, something happened to me, but I am not defined by that thing. Um, I am not my trauma, but I don't know the end of that film. The end of split was difficult for me because it seemed like it wanted to, the story wanted to empower Casey and have her acknowledge that she has um, a traumatic past and that her personhood is really related, her power, her her sense of um, strength is related to that. But she still was under this person's control. Like, she, like you know, I agree yeah. that if she had been more active to, um, I don't know. And and it's hard for me to even say that if she if she would have done something different or been more active. Like now, I'm even um, I'm insensitive to the victimization that she experienced and, and not addressing her, her, um, character as a survivor. So it, I, I'm almost unsure if there really is a right way to present this ending. And if anything, I think the ending is supposed to give us like have us sympathize with Kevin or have us yes re relate to, or be like, Oh my gosh, he's, he, like, we understand him better. He's no longer a monster. He's, this other persona. Yeah, I think it was like his last ditch effort to be like, no, he's not totally a villain. I'm not totally demonizing the ID. Look, <laughs> <laughs> <Right. laughs> like, he spares some people. <laughs> um, but it's also kind of making him the decider of who has gone through trauma. Yes, that's another thing. Like, uh, like, like, how does he know what these other two girls, or just, uh, I'm just using the three, the three girls in the the majority of the story as right. talking point, but how does he know what the other two girls have gone through? Like, he just said he's that just he's followed them. He's been following them for months. Okay. Has he been following them months? for their entire life? No. Has he no. been in their heads their entire life? Has he been no. on their computers? Has he been everywhere? Like, I don't know. Like, everyone's trauma and how it affects them is different. Yeah, he only registers visual trauma cuz he doesn't know what's happened to Casey until she he sees the scars, right? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry you guys, I got a little emotional. I don't no. talk about that stuff very often. It's it's heavy. It's heavy stuff. Yeah, I think um, I appreciate um, that you brought it up and that you shared that because um I think it's important to as as we're talking about, like, obviously those are fictional characters, but many of us um, have experiences that um, we're, we're dealing with and will likely deal with for maybe the rest of our lives. And so here's this, like, interesting story. Um, th the one thing I would say is it allows us to bring up, and this is what I was talking about with knowledge translation, that um, this film is allowing us to kind of address concepts of post-traumatic growth and of course um 
post-traumatic stress responses like PTSD and how that's a very real experience and, um, and how many people might be seeing a film like this and are reminded of the ways that they're dealing with their PTSD. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I mean, like, so like when, when he said that to her, like my gut instinct was like, like, wow, like he really sees her like, and it, like, it made me feel like, like, oh, like someone could like understand me and what I've gone through and like would sympathize and like because like a lot of the movie like she she obviously feels too embarrassed to talk about what has been happening to her with her uncle and like being raped um and it's just like but like but like moments earlier she saw him literally like eat her friend well not friend but whatever um <laughs> classmate that yeah. was um, that was very difficult to watch that was but that she was all, unexpected. But like she all, yeah, I mean, like, the, I don't know. It, it was a very, it was a big mind fuck, which I know all of his movies are. But <laughs> yeah, um, totally. And like, and she showed, and she showed empathy towards him, like even while he, he was like being an aggressor towards her. Like she did try to like get Kevin back to reality by calling his name. Um. Yeah. When and then he and then he said like oh like to kill him. Uh, I was gonna say I saw that more as like a survival tactic for her as right. opposed to like empathizing, but that was just my point of view of it. I think that I think that it was a survival tactic, but I think the fact that she waited so long to get that gun was her showing a little bit too much empathy <laughs> in that moment for him. Right. Like, she could have gotten that gun and killed him while he was still Kevin before he turned back to a different... Yes. No, To Dennis or whichever one he turned into after that. <laughs> I, I think um, just kind of echoing Danielle's point about, like, we might be able to find some elements of uh, interpersonal connectedness. Like, but it's, I think this is supposed to tell us something about um, Casey and... Kevin. Kevin's prime, right? Is it Kevin? I yeah, don't know I why so. yeah. I keep forgetting his, his name. He has a lot of alters. Yeah, with Casey and Kevin, uh, you know, maybe there's some kind of lesson there about like you're saying, seeing people for who they are and really having I don't know, that sense of um, that sense of acknowledgement, that sense of validation, that like not only is it okay that you've experienced trauma, that you've been victimized, not only is it okay, but actually I see you as superior. I see you as better than everyone else. But then as we unpack that, I don't like what that's actually saying. I like that she's visible. I like that she sort of becomes heroic herself. But I think at the end of the day, the problem still is present for me that a person with these presenting symptoms, a person who ostensibly has um, a mental health condition is like going around capturing girls and eating them. And I can't like, that's not okay. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) And it's a whole, that's a controversial thing you just said, but I agree. (laughs) Illegal. (laughs) Yes. I'm kidnapping, but like, it's all illegal. It's and, and so, and again, 
if this were presented as like, um, I don't know how it could be presented differently as a drama or something, but this is presented as a, a horror film that we're meant to be terrified by this individual, this man. We're meant to be horrified by his actions. We're meant to be scared of him. And so again, we walk away. Yes, we understand this is a fictional universe, but we walk away feeling like, okay, so people who have, um, people who are um, not neurotypical, people who don't have um, more common um, mental health presentations are dangerous or might eat people. And that's not cool. That's not a cool <laughs> message for me. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, it's not. Uh, I just want to say that's not a thing. People with the idea are not going to eat you. <laughs> no. Right. Only people from Florida. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Disclaimer, not everyone from Florida will eat you. Okay. okay, so do we have any final thoughts on Split before moving on to Glass? Yeah, I wanted to say what my favorite line in that movie was. Okay. Yeah. Um, what's what's the older female character uh, alter that that Kevin has? What's his What's her name? Mrs. Patricia. Patricia. She. I think what at one point she says, "Asian people's music aids digestion." Wow. And I was oh my like, god. That's interesting, huh? Wait. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, now that. I want like which Asian because there's several <laughs> like which Asian for that lady I don't think it matters. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, okay, I guess I'll I'll test that. Um, Jenny. <laughs> anyway, I, I'm else? so confused <laughs> by by those statements. Oh. I don't, I looked it up, it's not a thing. <laughs> <laughs> just in case leave that there's all all different types of studies out there man yeah there is there definitely is oh my god anything else <laughs> no i think let's let's move on to, to glass okay <laughs> yeah so did we have any thoughts about glass i feel like we've all shared well, thoughts about well i feel like we might as well just start back with casey and kevin because we we're already yeah. talking about them and so yes. like so I might as well start with like Casey, like going so, back to comfort Kevin and like showing empathy towards him. Yeah, because at the beginning of the movie, we see that David rescues those three or four girls from that warehouse, and that Kevin is finally captured. But Casey goes back. Like, do he? Is there any any semblance of a reason as to why she could possibly go back? I yeah, know. We, yeah, like, is this like Stockholm syndrome, or is it just because she like? feel so connected to his character i was i was hoping that something would be revealed about her that she um had been hiding superpowers or that she was discovering some kind of power and her relationship to kevin was leading her toward accepting that yeah i also thought she was going to have a superpower but. right and then that <laughs> didn't happen so um I, it's somewhat inexplicable, but I, you know, I think you have a good point about potentially this being the only person, and and this is maybe we can think about this as very common for survivors that this is somebody who has um, shown some like strange affection for her, shown um, attention toward her, p potentially even showed understanding of her, and so she might feel compelled. She's drawn to this person. And and helped her realize to report her uncle. 
Yeah. Yeah. So we, we might see this as some kind of development from her side. Um, and I, I think I was, I'm still wrestling with the fact that he is still, it, it's almost as if the actual villain is the beast alter and that right. the other characters within this single body, the older woman, the younger kid, um, who is actually um, quite entertaining and, and almost adorable with the et cetera stuff. <laughs> oh, I, I didn't realize he was saying that until like, I was like, is he really saying well, et cetera? Th- well, I think that um, it's supposed to be that Patricia and the Beast are essentially villains. So if I see it that way, I can better, I almost feel better about the story and about Casey's relationship with Kevin, like potentially um, if these multiple alters are, um, if, if there's some kind of analog to all of us have a part of ourselves that are um, destructive, some part that we are impulsive around, we can't control it, we um, dislike that part of ourselves, but whatever beast is in all of us like how do we you know maybe we're loved despite having that aspect of ourselves um so i i think there's maybe some again i'm kind of like trying to figure out how this could be uh relatable and justifiable just the fact that casey is is connected with him and potentially like loves him i i don't think it's because of what he's done i don't think it's because of the beast i think it's because who she thinks he is without the beast I w- yeah, I was just thinking that she basically, it feels like she basically sees them as completely different people in the same body. So she's connected to Hedwig and to Kevin, for example, but no one else, really. Yeah, and I think that she probably does think that the Beast is like a superhuman. What about your overall thoughts about the movie? About Glass? Yeah. Mm-hmm. God, heavy sigh, dear. It's the. It's really the. So so the. The. The big. I don't know. The surprise, is that the therapist is not a therapist. She's this Mm -hmm. agent in this covert organization that is. um, There. I guess it's still mysterious, but my understanding is that they're supposed to be um, eliminating these uh, potential superheroes that are among us all. And so um, I I felt, you know, of course, I felt that the, the guise of, you know, the identity as a therapist it is a setback for the field of psychology that like, why would like, again, somebody who's deceptive, somebody who's persecutory somebody who's the villain is actually um presenting themselves as a psychotherapist and not just that like a a high level expert um person you can trust and then it turns out that she's um she's the the bad person in this movie so obviously um even though she wasn't a a real psychologist in the end i just kind of felt annoyed with that yeah it's so funny because like (laughs) for me that wasn't the twist uh, because I immediately, I immediately was like, "Oh, she's not really a therapist or a psychotherapist." Where do you, where do you get these ideas from? I am really good at guessing movies and shows. It is extremely hard to surprise me. Um, watching things with my husband, he's he's always like, because I guess things like instantly, and he's like, 
what? And then like an hour later, he's like, holy shit. Anyway. Um, but she, because she was so bad at it, she was like gaslighting them the whole time. And like, I'm like, I just don't think a therapist would act like this. So I, so I just was like, I don't think that she's a real therapist. Like to me, to me, the tw- I mean, I want to go back to that, but to me, the twist was that glass, that glass essentially like planned for, for Kevin's dad to be on that same train as David's. And then he like turned into the beast 17 or 20 years later or whatever it was. But did I, he know that he was? I didn't turn? know that that was the. I didn't take it as that. I thought that was one co- a coincidence of it. But I the coincidence. Was... Okay, to, to, for to me, it, it seemed like it was planned, and and I was I was I was holding my mouth in the theater because I was screaming because I was like <laughs> I was like what 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 because what? <laughs> I thought that's what the twist was, and I was like I could not have possibly have guessed. Unless that. he has a superpower of telling the future, I I'm not sure if he would have been able to plan that far ahead. Because I that's think a- he said it just took him longer to create the beast. So I think the beast was the coincidence. Okay, I'm sorry, but I misinterpreted that. You could as, totally as, as, be, like because he said it took be longer. Right, I just I thought that, that he meant like he planned that like, all along. <laughs> I was in and out of confusion with this. So I'm confused all the time. But okay, fine. I felt like you, right, you left well, your I just, body. I just wanted to be surprised for Kina. once, okay? So I just wanted to be surprised for once. So I was, I thought I was surprised for once and I was happy. <laughs> I mean, you can interpret it however you want. We interpreted it as it was just a coincidence. Yeah. I Though I do agree that, um, that Mr. Glass feels that he is he created him that he's his creator yeah i do think he feels responsible for that i don't know if he i think that he probably wanted this um train wreck to be um the catalyst for a number of things and so uh, did did he actually uh formulate like did he think he was creating these altars in this child like uh no i i don't know that he was planning it that far ahead but i do think he feels responsible but the other thing yeah but i have real problems with this because with the with the uh, with i don't know the initial twist or one of the twists is that was so was that wing of that hospital or that center was were all of the employees and all the practitioners all the um the techs like all the staff were they in on it and if they weren't so they were just kind of like maltreating these patients yeah. because then they thought, yeah. so they actually thought they, they were patients. Yes. They were not so, yeah. in on it. They were, they were mistreating the, the patients. Yes. So yeah, again, I don't like that. Yeah. So yeah, you, I feel like you see that a lot, the, um, that mental health professionals and staff who work in mental health facilities. Um, mistreat their patients. Yeah. Is that. Yeah. Mistreat their patients. Yeah. So do you. Is do you believe that's realistic? I mean, no. you probably have the most experience being around that. Um, <laughs> no, no. Uh, I think it's problematic for for our media because when you portray such um, such abusive and heartless um, systems, facilities, staffing, um, treatment types of treatment, then then you really um, you know you you further stigmatize mental health experiences, disorders, and and then you also um, I say it's a setback for the discipline and for the field because 
you're you're not encouraging people to seek help. It actually discourages people from reaching out and trying to seek help because, um, you know, if if they see these kinds of portrayals, I think most people can understand that it's fictional, but is it based off of some foundation? And we're only human, so I think that the more the more we are exposed to those kinds of perspectives, the more that we'll get the bias that, well, if I'm ever in in a facility like this, should I just expect to be maltreated and abused? And of course, you shouldn't be. This is like in- incredibly false. This isn't what treatment facilities look like. Yeah, I mean, so like that's one of the reasons why it was obvious to me that um, Dr. Staple was not a real psychotherapist because like I've I mean I haven't been to therapy like that obviously but but I've been to therapy and like it's just therapists are not like that (laughs) there are some bad therapists out there though sure yes yes okay that is true there are some bad therapists out there and if you don't like your therapist um please try a different one because it should be a relationship that works for you um but I think but I think that is like a big misconception of what therapy is right. like and like a fear of what therapy is like for a lot of people. Right. So like, no. um, like they use like light flashes to change the, uh, alters for Kevin. Is that based on any reality at all? No. Right. <laughs> I, no. Drea is like shaking her head in like such disapproval right now. There was a lot of methods within that film that I was wondering. I was like, this can't be accurate because so much of it was detrimental to the actual people that were helping. And then, yes, at the end when it came out that she wasn't a therapist, I'm like, okay, that explains why. But like, yeah, the the room, the room that uh, Bruce Willis was in was going to flood with water. Yeah. Oh, my God. What? That's, you know, clearly... These are not really real abuse. methods. These are, yeah. um, these are, I mean, I would, I would say that these are abusive methods. Yeah. So yeah. like, is that some like whacked out take on like immersion therapy or like, I think I that, even think that's immersion therapy. no, they're trying to deter him because I yeah. think yeah. that they're with him. Are they trying to, I think they're trying to, um, access information from him. I can't remember I, well, I know that, like, th- this is meant to deter him. I saw it as several things. So for him, his strength is essentially, he's very strong. He's almost, he's unbreakable and destructible. So he could use his strength to break out, and that was supposed to subdue him. In addition to that, I saw it as him having a fear of water and them using that in a way against him to, like, bring up those past traumas in his life of being almost drowned. Which is terrible. And also, if he's, if they're trying to convince him that he's not strong, that strong, then shouldn't a normal door, like metal door, Suffice. prevent him from escaping rather than water, you know? That that didn't make any sense. But I, I do think, <laughs> no. Um, I think then the moment that the so-called therapist has the three patients sitting together yeah. where she's kind How of like... That? supposed to interrogate them or just um call them out on their on their uh deception of her or in in their um unwillingness to embrace their heroism whatever she thinks she's doing there i thought that was also like i almost walked out because i'm just like that you would never 
you would never do something like this and and you would never (laughs) put them together this way um yeah like group therapy is a thing but not if all three people are there because they are like tried to kill each other (laughs) (laughs) and she has three days to convince them that they don't have superpowers yeah you can't do anything in three days no and i saw that as like when you are um in a mental institution like the normal the 72 hour period i thought that's what that was but this isn't this isn't quite the same thing as like being diagnosed (laughs) with depression or anything like this is very a whole different ball game so i was was very confused i was like you can't convince somebody that they aren't a superhero in three days especially mm-hmm. or or that they don't have this disorder or that they don't experience this when they've been experiencing it their entire lives and by this point they're all old like uh, uh mr glass has been living this life for some decades now same with bruce willis <laughs> are you upset about calling him old you look <laughs> <laughs> he's 63 okay I still love that man. And same with Kevin's character. Like, they've all been experiencing this for several years. So there's no way that you can undo all of that in three days. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, you know what? Therapy takes years. Mm -hmm. There's no way this person's a therapist. Three days. Three days. (laughs) (laughs) She should know better. Well, maybe that was no. her way, you know, kind of going back to what what her um, objective was. This could have been some some way to gaslight them or to yeah. convince them that they have mental illnesses and not have superhuman right. powers. And so um, I'm guessing that her methods are meant to kind of like strip them of their humanity and just make them feel worn and torn out and just like, okay, fine, give in to... Um, the expert who's saying that actually what they're experiencing um, is a, a, a neurobiological affliction and not some kind of supernatural uh, experience. Would you, right. would you, as a psychologist, ever... <laughs> I mean, sorry to ask you. Probably no. None ever, of these like, things are things I would do. Like that? <laughs> Nothing. Nothing that happened in this film. <laughs> Wait, okay, would a reasonable psychologist ever gaslight a patient, even if they have like grandiose, like thinking like that? Not in the way that that gaslighting is typically done. I mean, I I think that, um, yeah, I won't speak for other people, but I think something that's, um, one principle or value that is honoring the practice is to really validate someone's experience and to understand that even though if I don't have a full grasp of what their, um, what their experience is, I at least let them know that I understand from a perspective of an outsider, from a perspective of listening to their accounts and their perceptions. So you, you will, you know, we encounter people who have delusions or, um, hallucinations and we know that they have some disconnection to reality and it wouldn't make sense for for me to be like yeah this is all true you're actually you know the the voices you're hearing are real or the the things that you're seeing you know it wouldn't 
it really wouldn't make sense to, um, to, to validate the reality of that. But I think that it is still helpful to acknowledge that that's their experience and to, um, to, to, again, just kind of see them for who they are. And, and if they are, they have such conviction and, and are, um, really, really in that sense of dissociation or sense of this break from reality, that there is some value in giving them that sense of validation and that sense of, um, that their perception has a validity to it. Um, but apart from that, I, you know, it's, it doesn't, it, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to challenge people so much on the things that they're saying they're experiencing. Yeah. Um, this episode is obviously also a lesson in if your therapist is not doing what gaslighting you, you? that's not good. <laughs> if your therapist is anything like the therapist in glass, then just run for the door. There are no. other therapists. There are others out there. <laughs> That won't try to kill you. Yeah, yeah. Because that's not gets, what they do. Yeah, she gets Succeeds. All, all, of, all three of them killed at the end of the movie. Yeah. That's her, that's the actual, like, goal of the movie if she can't convince them that they're not superheroes. Right. I can't believe they did it. I can't believe they actually killed all three of them. Yeah. I didn't see that coming. No. Yeah. I was, I was not, I was hoping, you know, that Bruce would survive. <laughs> Drowned in a puddle of water in a pothole. I was so upset. I was like, "What the hell is this?" Oh man! And his son was there. Oh man! Yeah. So was Casey. She was there too, and and Mr. Glass and the mother. Everyone was there, and it was just so. That was very that mother, the most supportive mother in the world. Really? Really? Yeah. Seriously. Do you feel that the end of the movie with their um their like unveiling of of what happened to the whole society like do you think that that was rewarding at the end like does wish, it justify their deaths I posted on social media got viral tweeted yeah I'm about to say <laughs> yeah Jenny and, and when, when is everyone gonna see it just wait for it <laughs> And they all see it at the same time. Yeah, you were in the theater, Jen. You're like, that's not how this works. <laughs> and <laughs> I was well, you- for Shamla, it does. <laughs> um, but back to what you were saying. Um, it was like, well, it was in the end, Glass, I guess Glass won. Because yeah. he never really cares about his own well-being. He cares very much about exposing this specific uh the specific idea that there are superheroes and people with superpowers out there. Um, and But it doesn't really help uh, uh, Bruce Willis and uh, Kevin at all. It, not, like, nothing, it doesn't benefit them because they, they died and that's it. Like even the world knowing that superheroes exist, who cares for them? You know what I mean? Yeah, it doesn't necessarily affect their yeah, day-to-day yeah. lives anymore. Yeah, for Glass, like, it's not about them and i and i guess like, you, like this point and i get yeah and i guess like i could understand what for like glasses mom why it would be satisfying because like all right like my son died for something and he was right all along right but for the other two 
I don't really know why it, yeah. Right. Especially for Casey, who I I was expecting, like, this is where we're going to learn that she has something special about her, that she also is a superhero in some way, and she's she's not. She just participates. Maybe in in the sequel? Go viral. I I really hope that this is, I hope this trilogy is done. I'm also (laughs) hoping that this is the end. Uh, Yeah. I don't know how well it did, but real reveal wise, it did not do well. <laughs> That's Wait, what I know. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how it did well money wise, but also if there's one thing I believe in, it's in humanity's ability to explain anything away, because people can see that and be like, "That's just CGI. That's just that's just like an ad." You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Like, like I don't quite believe that someone will see. James McAvoy do his weird dog run and be like, yeah, that's a superhero right there. You know what I mean? Wait, we would be like, what is that? What's happening? (laughs) It actually did pretty well. Yeah, but then we would never see anything about it again because he's dead and we'd be like, okay, what's the next interesting thing? Yeah. Yeah. But so on Arkham Sessions, you, you basically like kind of diagnose the different characters do you feel like you have enough on glass between unbreakable and glass to be able to diagnose him yeah i never i i don't know that i i certainly i i do think that because of his um childhood experiences of living with a really rare condition and um being so vulnerable as a child and not being able to connect with other other kids in the way that he wants to like always seeing himself as different and then certainly like having potentially uh childhood traumatic experiences i i do think that if anything he is he's he likely has like there's the the aftermath of that likely impacts his his mental health and so would i necessarily say that it's um a post traumatic stress response would i say that it's um related to his trauma i i don't i don't really know i i think that this is above and beyond this is kind of like what he's his actions are kind of separate to me than than his traumatic experiences um but the way that and and i appreciate that you brought up the show because in the beginning of our podcast we really were centered around diagnoses and trying to give these categories categorically diagnose people or characters and we really evolved past that i think that's really important foundational information but we move past that to better understand like what are people's unmet needs what are their um, motivations and and what are they driven by to better understand their psychology so i do think diagnoses are important to help us understand their motives but i i think for characters like especially these characters what might also be helpful is understanding their unmet needs related to their social and emotional growth. And so for glass, it's clearly um, he was never able to connect with other human beings. And so he created a a persona of a sense of meaning, a sense of purpose with his identity. And it really ended up kind of like fulfilling itself. Yeah. Yeah. I know that on the show also you try not to, diagnose based on one episode yeah true which which is why i was saying like because you got to see glass essentially like 20 years apart from himself which is kind of interesting um yeah 
in character development. <laughs> yeah, and I think there's also something a little uh, dangerous about associating diagnoses with specific actions, especially if they're kind of horrible. Yeah, just like sure. how like serial killers will have a specific history and a specific background, but not everyone with the, with that background will become serial killers. You know, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. True. Yeah. Yeah, and I didn't notice this personally but apparently there are different colors associated with each character i don't know if you noticed anything like purple well purple i noticed was associated with glass he wore a lot he looks so cool in that suit i um i just thought he was purple this could be me but samuel jackson just likes color purple because <laughs> even in star wars it's like you have this color saber you have this color saber he just samuel looks so jackson, good in it <laughs> purple saber and i'm like really you're the only one with the purple lightsaber i think you just like the color purple <laughs> yeah and like the beast was yellow and david was green did you notice that at all yeah i mean i thought that was really striking personally but yeah i i, I thought that was I noticed it, um, I think there was also, maybe there were movie posters or something that also drew, drew upon the color yeah. association. But it's interesting, I never got the sense, I, I don't know, I thought maybe those characters would would be a collaborative team or some kind of like, there would be a bigger meaning, but I, I didn't really like that they're just, they, they didn't really aside from having the shared experience of being abused in that treatment center, they didn't really have this like sense of team teaming that I thought was going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that there would have been some kind of a redemption arc for Kevin or the beast at some point during this film. And then when the ending happened, I was like, Oh, so this is where he just. Yeah. I think like bad. I think his like, Quote redemption is just him like basically saying he doesn't want to be the beast. Yeah, so. I guess. And staying as Kevin until the end. Yeah, like is, is there any, is there any truth to that method? Like calling forth someone's original name and like no getting way. that alter out? <laughs> no fucking way. <laughs> <laughs> got these like uh, far those are the fantastical aspects of these films yeah but i will say jenny just to bring it all back to the color aspect of it because i do love color and it's something that i do want to continue studying if i ever decide to get a master's degree Uh is that when you look at a lot of superhero action films a lot of their promotional posters, when you when I saw that question, I was like, oh my gosh, yes, this is just what I want. When you look at it, you see a lot of superhero action films. Um, the colors are always these primary colors or secondary colors to determine the good person. So the good person is always blue or yellow or orange. And like, if you look at it in, and also red. So like Iron Man, red, Captain America, blue. Um, even like Transformers films, it's blue and orange and it plays along those like those primary good colors along with their complementary colors. And then when you look towards evil, it's like it, it's different. It's it's something I, I've been trying to study more and I've been reading up on Joseph Albers and he's like a color theorist and how well, color what does, works. What, is, what colors are usually associated with evil other than like black, maybe? 
more blacks, darker tones, uh, definitely, I would say green, which was odd because in right. this, green is David, which he's supposed to be the reluctant hero, mm-hmm. but in other, it's, it's, it's So Shyamalan did not study color theory. He obviously he does not know who Joseph Albers yeah. is. I mean, I can, re- yeah. he had tweeted why he used the colors. Um, he did? Yeah, so basically, so he I'm just going to read his tweets. <laughs> okay. uh, that's some research. Anyway, uh, so he chose green for David um, because psychologically it's associated with life-giving properties and David is the protector guess, of life. Yeah. Does that sound? Like green plants, yeah. Sure. Okay. Um, yeah. He, he chose mustard for the beast because this color is associated with religious ceremonies, Hindu and Buddhist, a monk's robe. I see the beast as an... Uh, evangelist a preacher who wants to help save the broken <laughs> i yep i guess that that is the vibe that he was going for yeah and finally i chose purple for mr glass because this color has been associated with royalty majestic qualities elijah sees himself as important a main character of comics samuel l jackson just likes purple <laughs> <laughs> he the- likes the color purple so okay what do you guys think of this series as a superhero trilogy in general? I mean, as problematic as it is, I still enjoy it. And I, I, I just think it's like, I just think it's fun to every so often get a break from blatantly obvious superhero movie. Yeah. I think okay. I liked it. Yeah. I would probably not watch Split again for the sake of eating people and everything yeah. that came along with that film. Also, but it, I did. It is funny that I say that because the comic books I read are almost strictly like capes and tights comic books. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot in terms of because this is me watching it for the first time this year in its entirety within the last month and a half, knowing that I've watched all of the mcu and dcu films and i see this and i'm like oh my god what if we introduced this like concept to like captain america or like or like the joker and how how would they react to this sort of thing that was my taking from it but at the same time i'm like this kind of therapy does not exist so don't do this to anybody please what what do you think drea i do think that there's a there's um a place for for this kind of superhero narrative and I really love the idea of subverting the typical superhero story. I, I I just like I have a hard time with the mechanisms by which to tell the story, the um the treatment centers and the the patients being lied to and just kind of like really the I don't know, the um the ways in which to story tell here um really really bothered me because i think there could have been other opportunities to um to really present these characters i actually really i I love shows like legion and shows that that um examine the idea of um atypical presentations as potential um superhero identities in these fictional universes like potentially taking what our society considers deficits and subverting that to like, no, these are superpowers or, or these are um, just atypical presentations that we haven't really fully understood. 
I really love that subversion, but this, this is disappointing. This is just a disappointing way to, to examine those topics. And I totally agree, Arkita, like I wouldn't sit down and watch uh, Split again because it's, it's like really, really graphic and um, upsetting at times. And I would say that of all three, Unbreakable might be like the most compelling as, as a story. It's so funny because a lot of, a lot of people think Unbreakable is very boring. Oh. Um, Jenny raised her hand. Um, <laughs> I per- I How personally think um- Umbrickle is really compelling, um, but I guess because it's kind of unusual. Um, but yeah, but like like we were saying in the Into the Spider Verse episode that all superheroes need therapy, yes. definitely. Uh, so like if if it had not been such a incorrect take on therapy, uh, it would be really nice to see more just like more of that intersection right like in iron man 3 i guess yes which which is a whole new other discussion on itself yeah really great portrayal of ptsd and just as a side note the therapist in split who ends up dying um oh yeah i think she was a a good-natured um well-intentioned practitioner but why are you going like why would you go into his yeah. a dungeon or what like or his his so-called like the the home that he lives in like that's just not smart mm-hmm. um yeah going back to the series as a whole i personally if it didn't feel honestly like a superhero because obviously i'm used to M- the mcu and and the dceu but also what is mr glass's superpower exactly smart a lot of people are smart well i think (laughs) i took it as because he sees himself as defective in one way another part it's like it's like that thing it's like oh if i lose my hearing my sight is better he sees it as um if if my body is unable then my brain makes up for all of that therefore i am intelligent more so intelligent than Right, but the rest of the humans. I guess the, the question is, I is it started make it made me start thinking about what the definition of a superpower was because there's a lot really extraordinary people out there who can like run really fast or like geniuses. They um, can. There's this guy who can eat anything. No one else can do that. <laughs> he can eat metal. You know what I mean? So it started making me think about who is a superhero exactly. Is the the beast a superhero because he can climb walls and he's super strong? Honestly, I think he's just strong. I don't think he was actually climbing walls because when you look at him, he was kind of like breaking it in a little for something to grab. Exactly. And I was like, ah, you're not actually scaling this. You're not <laughs> actually Spider-Man. I'm sorry. You're breaking a wall right now. But that's what I mean. It's so it's hard to for me to see it necessarily as a superhero <laughs> film, like trilogy, what, personally. What, what, what constitutes superhuman or supernatural abilities that, i mean that is the question yes um, <laughs> that is the question answer yeah. it i don't know that i don't have the answers. it's not <laughs> sorry it's not it's not that what i see in the 
trilogy in my opinion, but that's just me. Maybe maybe we're me- maybe Shyamalan had intended for us to be this uncertain and to um to kind of wrestle with that ambiguity to make it a little bit more realistic or to make it kind of stick with us a little bit. Um even with from the from Unbreakable from the first movie, I think we have moments of doubting whether Bruce Willis has superpowers like he could just be a really strong dude or maybe he's uh, he's super resilient there the the kid was even sort of like at, by the way i hated that scene where the kid was just adding weight to um to bruce willis <laughs> first of all so how slow. strong is this kid to be picking up these weights too and i'm oh, like yeah, I, that's right. I also pick- didn't feel like it was a dramatic enough amount but to be no. fair i don't lift weights so yeah i lift 12 pound weight. no i don't even think it's like eight pound weights at the gym like oh little baby kettlebell like this kid is tinier than me and lifting these like giant plates and like no I, yeah, yeah so even there i felt like um maybe we're meant to believe that at least in 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 that moment that he's potentially very very strong but as as uh jenny's saying like this this is this superhuman or is it just a like just an, an incredible characteristic there's there are a lot of people with incredible characteristics that are in the 0.001% of those um you know the ways in which they're they're they excel and so i may be giving m night Shyamalan some credit here that i don't know could be undeserving but perhaps some of the questioning some of the uncertainty around the superhero aspect is intentional i think it is which makes it very interesting for sure but the final scene is a way to to kind of solidify yes they have superpowers and yes they sh- everyone should know about it but someone seeing those like i mentioned before someone seeing those videos will be like eh. <laughs> <laughs> i did not see it i i saw it as if somebody saw these videos and noticed that they had these abnormal abilities, would they feel more compelled to come out? But then, now that we all know that they're dead, would they even want to if there's like this giant conspiracy oh my God. to kill them? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm sorry, I just answer that myself. I'm like, oh, never mind, I don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah, the reality is not as uh, 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 nice as no. you would hope. No. Yeah. No. That's very true but i i mean i don't know i mean i i will say i did something i did appreciate about the movie was uh about glass was like like i i really love that they used so many of the same actors and actresses as unbreakable um yeah, I. It took me a Which second I didn't, to realize I didn't that know kid in advance. was. I, I, <laughs> yeah, I just like kind of this... went in cold to the movie, and I was like, right. So like his son and um and Elijah's mother both being the same actors. The same were, By the way, were Elijah's great. mother looks amazing. No, yeah, yeah. I was like, huh, wow. Yeah, and then they also <laughs> used like deleted scenes. Like that they had filmed at the time of Unbreakable. Oh, yeah, yeah that was cool. Which was, which is, was really, which worked. Is so that the well. scene where? Is like that the, the scene father? Where he walks into his son's bedroom. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then, uh, and, and whether... also, I think that the scene where um, young Elijah 
was on that like um oh my god the american or whatever i I think that was actually (sighs) filmed at the time of unbreakable probably that was like pain that was so painful to watch i I, i'm sure you were sitting next to me jenny i'm a very animated movie watcher i closed my eyes i couldn't watch it i wasn't able to watch that scene we're like gripping each other i think uh so drea do you think that, or do we all think that this trilogy is helpful or harmful to the stigmas surrounding mental illness? <laughs> well, like, like Drea said, it's like a, um, I don't remember, what was the, like, it's a text, basically, you can read to interpret how mental illness is, is handled in media and in our society, right? So it's kind of useful in that way, in that that's the point of critics and reviews and being able to read movies like that. Uh, but I don't think it's, it's that good yeah. for, that's sophisticated. <laughs> for mental illness. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think, you know, it helps me because I can give an example of how. <laughs> that's um, what I mean. Yeah. Some films um, really add elements of horror where they don't exist to the, to the discipline. Um, and, you know, when, when I make this, I sometimes mention this to my husband and he'll remind me like most people know that this is meant to be fantastical. It's meant to be horrific. Like most people understand that this is not realistic. And I, and while I agree with him, I also just worry that as, uh, especially young people, as they develop concepts and perceptions around help seeking and, um, and, and, and just kind of like, mental health um exploration that this is a lot of what they're consuming and so um i i do have concerns about that i i wouldn't ever be the kind of person to say like this movie shouldn't exist or like it's so harmful it shouldn't be out there but i do think that um i really it allows me to embrace other fictional available narratives that either are more realistic or more positive in their portrayal of um, treatment delivery, mental health provision, and um, and systems that are are actually quite helpful and not harmful to individuals who are who are needing support. I think that's super well said. Yeah, I mean, d- do you guys have anything else that you want to say about the trilogy? <laughs> no, I don't think so. Okay, well. This has been super fun. Um, yeah. I, as you know, I'm a self-proclaimed Drea fangirl, so <laughs> I really enjoyed having <laughs> I, you I on. am too now. That's why I felt so embarrassed to burp earlier. And you were on. <laughs> I totally didn't even hear it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's why I was freaking out. If, if, the, if ever another uh, movie comes out that you're like, oh my God, I need to talk about this, uh, feel free to reach out and be on again. Um, we, we like to sometimes um, give uh, like a podcast or a phone number or a website or something um, that people can use to give help or to get help if they um, need to seek treatment or just like um, for wellness. Do you have anything you would like to share? Um, a couple of things I, I just wanted to mention. I have a lot of students who have recommended apps um, that help them with day-to-day mental health promotion. And I'm not sure if you've talked about this on the show before, but um, 
I really support the use of apps to, um, to just handle not just like everyday mental health, but also, um, when we're needing emergency self-care, like in the moment, we just have to regulate ourselves and we need to get out of, um, moments where we're triggered or moments where we feel out of control or moments where maybe we're watching split and we need to (laughs) take a moment to ourselves and, and feel a little bit more balanced. So, um, so I really support that. Uh, A couple that my students have mentioned to me are Dalio, Headspace and Worry Watch. And those, I believe they're all three of those are free to download and they allow you to, um, keep record of your mood and anxiety ratings. They allow you to kind of examine your own trends and they, they, um, they store your data so that you could, um, better understand how your own episodes impact you and, and how they, how they, um, maybe form trends so that you can take better care of, of yourself. Yeah. Our, we, um, we had Rose Dalvecchio, who is co-owners of fan mail with Jenny on our second episode. And I believe that she, uh, recommended, Headspace, she recommended Dalio right? or Dalio. No, okay. Dalio. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and she, uh, her day job is as a, um, a mental health, uh, educator. So, yeah. Oh, oh a yeah. Educator. Director of wellness or something. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's two essentially wellness educators telling you to download this app, guys. <laughs> yep. So I think uh, if you don't have it, it's time. Uh, it's yeah. free. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I did also want to add on to that. I know I had spoke briefly about my PTSD early in this episode, but for anybody that does live in the New York City um, area and is also experiencing PTSD or sexual violence or violence or any kind of uh, trauma, you can also reach out to Safe Horizon. That is who I went through for my PTSD counseling. Um, And they are free and they do provide counseling and help um, with all of that. And you can go to their website at safehorizon.com and they also provide a lot of other information on how you can seek help for that as well. Is that in person or online? Um, It's in person. Okay, thank you. That, yes, that's only for the New York City metro area for those that are listening in New York City. Um, yeah, but I wonder if they they might have resources for other cities. I yeah. think they might. I am not certain of that. but Yeah, check them yeah. out. So... Thanks so much for listening. If you like what you hear, subscribe, review, and rate us on our social medias. Yep, they are. (laughs) Fandom and Wellness on Instagram. Fandom and Wellness on Facebook. And Fandom Wellness on Twitter. Uh, Come hang out with us online. Uh, We also have a Patreon now, which you can find at patreon.com slash Fandom and wellness. As a patron, you'll get access to behind-the-scenes content, deleted deleted audio from episodes, uh, full interviews that we've done, and other stuff that Jenny feels like posting, because Jenny edits everything, <laughs> because she's our oracle. Yep. Yes. And your support means that we can continue to improve the podcast, so become a patron at patreon.com forward slash fandom and wellness. And remember, be kind and take no shit.